this is Justin Haley driving the number 31 College Racing Chevrolet in the NASCAR Cup Series. Hey guys, this is Sheldon Creed, driver of the number two wheel in Chevrolet for RCI Race. Hey everybody, this is Adam Alexander from NASCAR on Fox. This is Sam Air. You're listening to the You're listening to the Front Stretch Podcast with Brian and Brian Moore. This is the week of March the 29th, 2023, and the lack of respect has got to stop. What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? It is another edition of the Front Stretch Podcast with Brian Owen. On this week's edition of the program, we got a fantastic couple of guests. Lori Warren, the president of Richmond Raceway, spoke with our Michael Massey about this upcoming weekend at Richmond and just if there could be a race at Richmond that has dirt. Could it actually be possible? We'll talk about that and more. And then I sat down for about a 15-minute conversation with Gabe Wood from Alpha Prime Racing, a tire specialist. We talked about the ins, the outs of his job, what he thinks that NASCAR did to Atlanta was absolutely a travesty, and so much more. And then last but not least, I got the boss man with me, Mr. Tom Bowles. He is going to be diving in Dakota, the lack of respect. We're going to be talking about Daniel Suarez's penalty. And then we're going to be previewing the first quote-unquote short track points-paying race at Richmond this upcoming season. It's all coming up on this edition of the Front Stretch Podcast with Brian Owen. So let's go ahead and wave this green flag. Buggity, buggity, buggity! Let's go racing, boys! Green flag is out. I'm going to be joined this week by the man that uh, I caused him a lot of stress, but I also caused him a lot of smiles, I can most definitely assure you guys. Mr. Tom Bowles from CBS Sports, as well as uh, FrontTretch.com's editor-in-chief. Bowles, what's going on, my friend? First time for you this year to be on the program, and uh, I I can't wait to dive into uh, this crazy race that we saw at Coda, my friend. This lack of respect has got to stop, Brian Nolan. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, are we in the HR call or is this the podcast call? Uh, I mean, either way, it's probably going to be the the same narrative because let, let's just dive right into it, Bulls. Um, each and every single week, the top 30 in points comes to what NASCAR calls the bullpen. And we keep saying, we keep hearing the lack of respect, the lack of respect, the lack of respect. And it kind of got put to a hold when you had two Formula One guys and a sports car guy come in and say, yeah, it was a little surprise. There's really no respect in the world. It was, you know, as Kimi Räikkönen says, it was kind of like bumper cars out there. No one really cares. I don't know where to, where to go with this, Tom, because kind of like Kyle Busch said a couple weeks ago, he's tried to talk to drivers and they really don't care. And it feels like each and every week goes by, you get a caution with eight laps to go, and all hell's gonna break loose, and we thirtieth doesn't care if they wreck tenth just to gain three places. I mean, they don't care. What's it gonna take for this shenanigans to stop? So, let's take a step back because I know we're all agitated. I know we're all upset by the way that Coda ended. But until that caution came out with what about twelve laps remaining for Keselowski yeah. stopped on the racetrack, it was an amazing race. Was I would argue it was the best race of twenty twenty three. You had an amazing battle up front between Tyler Reddick and William Byron for the lead. There was close competitive racing throughout. And while there were incidents, it wasn't like people were like bumping the heck out of each other every which way at every moment. But I think what has happened here to start 2023, and it's just carried over from carried over from the oval tracks, is these late cautions, read these restarts where guys know they, they can get eight, nine, ten spots in a couple of laps. Not only is it at the end of their race, so they don't have an opportunity, you know, to gain more after that, but like with this car, that's the best opportunity to pass people. And you have these double file restarts on these road courses where you could just jam the brakes and just outbreak someone and just push the issue heading into turn one on pretty much every road course that we have. And that's what we saw at Coda. We saw a bunch of people jam into each other just to try and push forward and get those spots. And by the way, if you can somehow get a surprise upset win as Ross Chastain came all the way back from 27th, almost won the race. I know we'll get into it. You can end up in the playoffs. You pretty much secure a playoff spot in this system with a victory. So people just have so much on the line. And that's why we see the aggression at the end of these races. The answer, 
Brian Owen, I don't think people are going to like because it's single file restarts on road courses. And we used to have single file restarts in this series years ago with under 10 laps to restarts. Before we erased racing to the caution flag, you would have inside of 10 laps, lead lap cars up front, then the lap down cars, everybody single file. It was a cleaner way to end the race, but it certainly wasn't as exciting. And I don't know if that's necessarily the answer here. Maybe you do two NASCAR overtime restarts, and then if it's still like this, you go to single file. I, I don't know, but let's hear from some of the drivers. Let's hear from um, a couple of debut drivers. First, let's start with Jensen Button on uh, just the lack of respect and how he was a little bit surprised by it. Respect in some ways, in, in terms of how they drive, in terms of their speed and how they can place the car, their car placement, very impressive. Some other things, <laughs> a little bit disappointing. And, uh, you know... Yeah. It's it's a tough one. It's their way of racing, but when you're not used to that, it's it's tricky. Um, it looks good on TV, I'm sure, but you know you could be minding your own business and get whacked in the rear corner, and they weren't even trying to overtake you. They just got pushed from behind, and it's it's a tough one. But so to come through that, well, you know, I pit every corner, every wheel, scratch, you know, rubber everywhere. But to come through it and get a reasonable result, very happy with that, and I gave as good as I got, which which also pleased me next up let's hear from jordan taylor jordan taylor kind of uh had the same sentiments as uh, mr button but he was a little bit more expressive with it let's hear it from uh the sports car star how do you think that nascar should handle drivers getting you know more respectful racing instead of bumper cars uh, i mean i don't know this is my first time so i'm probably the wrong guy to ask the cars are so strong like i honestly don't know how my car made it through the whole race with how much crazy contact i had like I've never had so many big hits in my life and kept driving, thinking the car was fine. So I'm not sure how they do it. Um, it's just a respect thing on track, and I think they've just developed it over the years, and they're all used to it. I think if someone uses you up, you use them back, and they kind of take every inch they want. Last but not least, let's hear from Kyle Busch. Now, this was during when Kyle Busch was talking about his run um, and about how he did finish in the second position. But he did throw a little shade at the guy that was uh, getting talked with uh, to the left of him, Mr. Ross Chastain. Uh, let's hear KB's thoughts. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing was just I, I got alongside Reddick there on that one restart into the S's, and I could have forced the issue and pushed him off or whatever. But uh, we ran each other hard, we ran each other clean, and gave each other room. So um, I, I, I respect the kid, and he's been nothing but great to me. So I, I give him respect back. And so we, we've had some good races between each other. They were really fast. I mean, they deserve the win. There's no sense in, in taking it from them. Um, somebody else that doesn't know anything about clean over here. Once again, that was uh, some of the finishers from this past week. The Bulls, we're going to talk about the no stage race. We're going to talk about the, the Tyler Reddick incident. But I do want to talk about continuing the lack of respect one last time because it happened not just on the racetrack with under 10 laps to go. It happened off the racetrack. After the checkered flag, we saw some in-camera um, uh, onboard footage from Daniel Suarez, and he was he was hot. Like, he was very, very livid, and he not only did he punt Ross Chastain out of the way coming into pit road, he punted Alex Bowman not once, but I think about three times while there was pit crew members on the pit road. Very, very dangerous. Kind of reminded me of Ty Dillon getting punted by Ty Gibbs. I want to say it was Kansas. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong there, uh, Tom, but it was announced on Wednesday afternoon he did get fined $50,000, but this just continues the lack of respect. And the, the guys from Door Bumper Clear kind of said it best. Why are you doing it with your car after the race? Why don't you just get out of your car and talk to him like a real man or do it on the racetrack where you're not getting these innocent bystanders that could potentially get hit? Just very, very careless driving by Suarez after the race, Tom. Well, let's talk about Suarez for a minute. First of all, I think there was added disappointment when it came to Cotto because last year, if you remember, Daniel led so much of that race and he felt like early on he had that in hand and then it all fell apart for him as the race wore on. And here he was in position for a top five, maybe even another shot at the victory and he gets pushed around as the nice guy, as a guy that typically is not somebody that you see after the race, drivers coming up and going, why did Daniel do that? as a guy that people universally pretty much like in the garage area. 
And he's not someone that, that's used to being aggressive, that's fighting, used to fighting back. And I think he let his emotions get the best of him in a moment where he's not really put in that situation all that much because he doesn't really have that same type of temper that, say, Kevin Harvick in his younger days might have had. So definitely made a mistake, deserved the $50,000 fine. But if you're telling me we need to worry about Daniel Suarez going forward, <laughs> I think he's got a big problem with this whole racing season, I think. You know, everything will come out in the wash the next couple of weeks, even his relationship with Ross Chastain at Crackhouse. We'll get to Ross a little later. Now, you're talking about the lack of respect. The one thing I will say is we love having road course ringers come into the sport, right? Brings fresh eyes and a fresh perspective. In the 90s, 2000s, people used to come in and say how wonderful it is. It is a little concerning to me that you have F1 drivers and a sports car star come in and be like, eh, I don't know what's going on over here, but it's a little weird. That's not exactly the momentum builder that you want for a season that started off on the wrong foot. We just got the ratings for Coda, Brian. Ratings down, I believe, about 14%, 15% in that range. Ooh. It's not good. Ooh. And I think if as we move forward, NASCAR is just desperate for a burst of momentum to try and put 2023 on the right track. We thought Coda was going to get there for us, and I still think there's a lot of positives you can take from this event. But you don't want the storyline to be what we saw and you can't avoid what you saw at the finish. A bunch of people playing pinball at the end and it's just like you're shaking up the bingo numbers and then whatever comes out, comes out in the watch. It's just that Tyler Reddick was so fast. He was able to avoid every all the chaos behind him and never seriously was threatened for the race win. This is the Front Stretch Podcast with Brian Owen. Tom, let's talk about some of the good stuff that you mentioned. Uh, first, first and foremost, before we get to T-Red, let's talk about the for the first time since 2016, we had no stage breaks where we, we rack them all up and then we go uh, for for another stage. They got points, they just didn't stop. And and for for the first time at a road course since stages were created, it felt like that there was more of a strategy and there was more of uh, some intrigue, and potentially there was going to be a fuel mileage race until, I should say, Brad Keselowski stopped on the racetrack. So for the first time since 2016, Tom, your thoughts on no stage breaks? Let me tell you, I think it's the beginning for an exit strategy for stages. Really? Yes, I do. You look at the pack racing in Atlanta, and I wrote about this in Did You Notice this week, shameless plug. First (laughs) two stages, they were all single file at Atlanta because they're smart. They know that they can just go double file in the final stage and just go for it because they're super glued together in the draft. It's all about survival and just staying on the lead lap in the first two stages. With the road courses, they had gotten so blasé during the, you know this next-gen era because crew chiefs knew how to plan. They knew exactly when to pit, and you had these pre-planned cautions that they could work into their strategy, and it just made it very difficult to stand out among the pack. And I think with no stages and with the natural way way the race played out, it was so much better for everybody. And we saw this amazing two-stop strategy versus three-stop strategy, which it was going to work out, I think, for Reddick anyway. But just the different speeds that people were running late in the race. Some people like Truex were really trying to save fuel. You see people going at 60%, 80%, 110%. There was passing everywhere. And people felt like they had to really go after it for every lap of every race because they knew where there wasn't a guaranteed break. And I think drivers have evolved. Like this sport evolves. That's the whole thing. You know, people want to have the same roles every single year, but I just heard of a bunch of slew, you know, a bunch of minor rule changes for the NFL today for the upcoming season, the best sports continually evolve. And I think drivers have evolved and caught up to what stage racing was supposed to be. Stage racing was supposed to make the racing more competitive. Now the drivers are onto it. They know when they need to you know, push down on the accelerator and when they need to hold back. And they also plan around those breaks. So the racing isn't necessarily as competitive as NASCAR would like it to be with the stages. So my hope is this is a little bit of a toe in the water where I think in 2024, maybe we get the stage bonuses without the caution flags. I think it would be great for the sport. And I think the sport should take a look at it. Now, do you think we could have it maybe, let's say, no super speedways and, and Atlanta? Or are you talking the entire season? At the very least, I think you got to add pack races to it next year. I think you got to seriously take a look at that. And I think if they're going to do it for that, I think they should do it across the board. And with stage racing, the other thing that we don't really talk about, we've just accepted as fact that I think is really problematic, is people that are not the race winner can score the most points during the race. 
And that's what really bothers me. The first two races of the year, the person that scored the most points at the Daytona 500 was not Ricky Stenhouse. It wasn't the race winner. So how can you try and explain that to the casual fan that, hey, Ricky Stenhouse won the race, but he really didn't score the most points. He's not the point leader coming out of the race, but he has a playoff spot because we get playoff spots with wins. It's just all super confusing. And I think NASCAR needs to do something to make it a little bit easier People understand their championship system. Yes, the win in your end part is easy, but the actual point accumulation is really hard. And people over at Formula One, and Formula One is bursting with popularity right now, they're not wondering how you calculate first, second, third, fourth, fifth. It's a very easy point system to understand, and people can jump on board, and people don't really care that Max Verstappen is dominant. They're not not watching because of that. They're still watching the racing overall. And I think the more that you can make this point breakdown easier to understand, the more you can bring in a new fan that can go, okay, all right, it makes sense. The winner gets the most points. The winner of the final stage should get the most points. That to me is super simple and easy. It's another rule change we're talking about, I know, but I think NASCAR can start easing away from stage racing by at least doing green flag stage bonuses instead of these caution flags and try and resist the urge Jacques Dupree to make a comeback. We saw that a couple times during the overtime. That was the other problem that we had is we had all these wrecks during overtime and NASCAR wouldn't let it go. I don't understand why you wouldn't throw local yellows at a 3.41 mile road course. I really think that that was problematic for them because we could have ended that race one or two times before we actually ended it. And at the end of the day, like I said, we ended up with the same winner in Tyler Reddick but the owners ended up with a lot more expenses and we had plenty of wrecked race cars and freight tempers that we just didn't need to have. At NASCAR Bulls on the Twitter. Tom, let's talk about Tyler Reddick because uh, for all the carnage and chaos that we had at the end of the race, it did feel like the best car at the end of the, uh, at the for the entire weekend, I should say, did end up in victory lane. Tyler Reddick, we, we see him be so successful at these road courses, did win at Road America last year was fantastic all throughout the weekend and ended up with his first victory for 2311 racing. Does this put any pressure on Bubba Wallace now to succeed and find victory lane with just how fast and how uh, just into victory lane T-Red is already? I mean, what are we, five races in and he's already into victory lane? So I think Bubba Wallace is another issue. Let's put it on pause for a second because, you know, a real contrast in styles we saw at Coda with what went on with Bubba. But talk about Tyler. Tyler has taken a brand new race team and put them in that he's associated with, I should say. And we're less than two months into the season. He's the first Toyota driver to reach victory lane. It's not a joke of racing driver that's reaching victory lane. It's Reddick. You know, who's won three out of the five last five road course races. It's not Kyle Busch. It's not Chase Elliott. It's not Christopher Bell. It's Tyler Reddick. So he's definitely putting a stamp on his new ride and showing that 23 XI that team could have been a championship contender last year with Kurt Busch. And unfortunately with the concussion and the way everything went awry, they never really got a chance to show themselves in the postseason. You know, Bubble made the next round. He qualified for the round of 12 with that 45 car. And that team had something in the postseason that if Kurt was still driving it, maybe they could have showed something because he was with that team and he had that chemistry where, you know, they switched the numbers around with his injury and all of that. Now you look at Bubba and the way he crashed out at Coda, he's had, I believe, four problems so far in the first six races. Not necessarily that far away from playoff contention. You never really are under this system because all you need is a win to, in the bank to make the postseason. But it's very clear that he's been inconsistent. It's very clear that he's feeling the pressure. And the comments that he made after the race where he was talking about maybe he needs to be replaced Jeez. because of the way that he was driving and trying not to let you know, his lack of confidence get to him. That's old school Bubba. That's Bubba from a couple of years ago that really didn't have his stuff together. It really didn't feel like he'd made it. I think Denny needs to do a lot of coaching in the 23XI offices this week. Steve Walletta and the group bring Bubba together and go, hey, the speed is there. We just saw it with Tyler. You're coming to racetracks next few weeks. That could be your strengths. You know, Kansas is up on the agenda within the next like month or two. You know, that's a racetrack I look at that he could be really good at. And, you know, obviously you have Talladega coming up this month that he could be successful at. So Bubba's still plenty of time for him to turn his season around, but definitely a tale of two seasons so far, right? Reddick had adversity, bounced right back from it. Bubba has adversity, and he's really down in the dumps, and we haven't seen him dig out of that hole. Tom, last but not least, 
we had a plethora of stars into this field. Kimi Raikkonen, Jensen Button, Jimmy Johnson, Jordan Taylor. Um, unfortunately for Jimmy Johnson, wreck, he wrecked on lap one, didn't even get to complete a full lap at Coda. Um, just any of those drivers surprise you with those finishes at the end of the day? So I think some of the drivers that had surprising finishes weren't necessarily the part-time guys. I think you needed to salute a guy like Stenhouse that had his first top 10 since Daytona 500. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily a road course racer. Todd Gilliland, a top 10 finish for Front Row Motorsports. He started all the way back in 36. So we had some surprising guys, you know, near the front of the field. Like if you look at Jensen, Kimi, Jordan Taylor, how their races unfolded, I think for them, just finishing a cup event is a big accomplishment. I know they would, would have wanted more, but it's very difficult to adjust between series. We've seen this so many times with IndyCar drivers trying to come in or vice versa, people from stock car racing trying to attempt the Indy 500. And it's not easy to just jump into a different style of car and win. And I think they did the best that they could under the circumstances. I think the only one that should be slightly disappointed, I think, is Jordan. Yeah, obviously, the nine cars up to your equipment, potential winning equipment. And he basically went backwards from the drop of the green and never really put himself in a position to be up front. I know he had a decent finish at the end, but it could have been so much better you know, considering the speed that he showed early on in the weekend. So looking ahead, I'd love to see these guys in the series more. I think with a few more reps, I think that Keeney could be somebody that could challenge for a top 10 finish, top five finish. And I think Jordan with a few more reps could challenge for the race win, but Unfortunately, I don't know how more how much more we'll see them over the course of 2023. We'll just have to wait and see. You know, I know Jensen's doing what? At least one more. Chicago, um, and then I want to say the Roval? I know he's doing Chicago yeah. at least. Yeah, he's got Chicago at least. Wouldn't surprise me to see him at the Roval. I know Project 91 is going to rotate among a bunch of different drivers, so Kimi's not guaranteed to be in that seat again. But he was certainly in that seat in 2022, and it's not like he did anything to kick himself out. Um, so don't be surprised if he ends up back. Um, so we'll, you know, we'll see how it goes. Tom, stay right there. When we come back, we'll be playing an interview that I conducted with Gabe Wood and then Mr. Michael Massey conducted with the president of Richmond Raceway, Mrs. Lori Warren. All right, we're here with Lori Warren, who is the president of Richmond Raceway. Uh, started just last year. Uh, you don't quite have a year under your belt yet, no. but you do have a race weekend. Uh, what what have been your takeaways so far? Anything that you know you didn't expect or th th about this job or? What have been your takeaways so far? Luckily, NASCAR prepared me pretty well for most things. I've been traveling to a lot of the other races. Um, I've gone to Darlington, Martinsville, Daytona, uh, the LA Coliseum race, Phoenix. So I've learned a lot in the past eight months. You're exactly right. It's been less than a year. I think July 11th is when I started. And it was three weeks before my previous race. Um, but uh, yeah, I've learned a lot. I've soaked in a lot. Um, I don't know that there was nothing, something I didn't really expect, but um, but it's been a thrilling last eight months. For sure. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned L.A. Yeah. Uh, I saw you taking around uh, Caleb Williams, kind of getting him everywhere. What was he like? Oh, he was awesome. He had great energy, and he was he was thrilling with the fans. He um, there wasn't really anything he said no to, which I liken to our sport. You know, um, that he he was very accessible, and I find that our athletes are the same way. You know, it's there's very few sports that give quite the access to the fans that are athletes do um, Caleb was a lot like that but um, but he, he was great he was very personable it's it's nice to see someone who has done so well like Caleb has and obviously the Heisman Trophy winner um, and he's got another year <laughs> of play left right he was he was great to be around it was fun yeah. now you already were familiar with NASCAR when you got into here but is there anything you learned about the fans uh, just from this first year in the job that you didn't maybe or maybe didn't understand fully or until now or um, I've learned a lot about the fans. I have learned, you know, with Richmond, we're celebrating 77 years right here. Um, NASCAR is celebrating 75 years. Uh, but when you're in a region for 77 years, people have memories associated with the racetrack. And as I've gotten to know a lot of the fans or connected with fans, they've shared those special memories. I'm, I think I told you last time when we met, that yeah, I grew up around here coming to the track with my grandfather 
and um, that's a memory that I've you know held near and dear to my heart but a lot of the fans have shared those special memories with me uh, you know, they shared the memories. They've also shared some opinions about <laughs> how they think the racetrack can progress and um, what the future might hold. And I like that, that they're sharing those opinions. Because when people have opinions, that means they have a passion and they want to see something succeed. I love that the people are so invested in Richmond Raceway still that they want to see it succeed. And, um, I, you know, I think that the minute a fan or the fans don't want to see it succeed or they don't have passion, then I think we need to worry, but we're not even close to there yet. Now, I've noticed you guys have taken like a bigger initiative than maybe we've seen in the past to like get in the community, doing the Bubbles Black Party and the, the rooftop. Uh, so how um, important is that to, you know, get back to the community and do you have anything else? Because I know once you plan something and it's set, you're already working on the next thing, right? Is there anything else you get up your sleeve? Uh, Right now, not for this race, um, not yet. But for next race, of course, we're, you know, as soon as we finish this one, we're planning for the next one, and we already are planning for the next one. But uh, Bubba's Block Party, you're exactly right. We're excited about that this coming up Friday night, and that's going to happen rain or shine. So we want to make sure we, we let people know that. And then, of course, the rooftop parties, the finish line rooftop parties, it's three simultaneous rooftop parties happening downtown in Richmond because we did want to connect with the community. If people can't come to the track for some reason, we want to make sure that we bring a little piece of the track to, to them. Um, I think it's important to make sure that we reach back out and remind people that we are in this community. We are here and and we've got a lot of things going on here. Um, You know, I'm not sure what's been done in the past, but I know what we want to do looking to the future and I'm excited about what's going on. Now, we've seen uh, dirt be put on Bristol last (laughs) year. uh, I believe Chris Busher, Kevin Harvick, a couple other drivers were saying, Hey, why don't we try putting some dirt on I Richmond? Saw that. I saw did. That. What, what did you think when you when you heard that? Uh, well, Kevin, Kevin and I spoke in Nashville, um, and I said, Kevin, what are you saying? And he he laughed a little bit about it. And he said, I, I, I like to toss out ideas, so <laughs> we had a good laugh. So it's not something that's actually like being discussed. Or I mean, I never or... say never about anything, but right now we're looking at the race ahead of us, and uh, that's where I'm focusing. Okay. Okay. Now. Uh, I was looking at the forecast. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, hopefully sunshine the whole time, but it looked like there might be a little rain on Saturday. Sunday looks great. Yeah. You know, but I always say there's a 100% chance of Richmond, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what we know about Richmond this time of year. But Sunday looks great. Uh, we're crossing our fingers for the rest with Sunday. I cannot wait. But they could, uh, it's new for this time, they could go racing in it if it's a little bit damp right the wet weather package Mm -hmm. um there there's a chance we could be seeing that and that could be exciting for us that's that's history in the making right there and richmond we could be the first so you know even if there's a little dampness um a little moisture we can still we can still go racing so stay tuned and what uh is there one thing in particular you're like i'll send you on this one you're like most excited for this weekend oh of course the fans i mean i cannot wait till the first camper shows up tomorrow i can't wait for that moment because that just means we're off we're off off to the races literally right um so we are ready we uh, last week I, i i knew we, I was excited because I knew that this was this race week was coming up. I, I just cannot wait to just get going. We've we've been anticipating this moment this week for such a long time. We knew all the ideas that we were getting ready to share. We knew that Bubba's Block Party was coming. We knew the Finish Line Festival was were getting ready to be announced. We knew we were doing the mural and the posters, and we were getting ready to connect with the community. I just can't wait to actually see the community here. That's what I'm excited about most. Well, that's Lori Warren. Look for her. If you're in Richmond this weekend, look for her around. Please. Yes, please. Can't wait to see you guys. Thanks so much. Right now, folks, at this time, I'm going to bring in to the program. You can see him on the pit road of every single NASCAR Xfinity race, and you may even see him wandering around during the truck series race looking for tires. He's a tire specialist for Alpha Prime Racing. Got to know him via our our good friend and uh, just one big goofball, Mr. Michael Massey. Gabe Wood joins the program. Gabe, what's going on, brother? How you doing, buddy? How you doing, Brian? Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. Now, for those that don't know, um, who are you? Obviously, I said you're a tire specialist, but um, just give give our listeners a backstory about how you got into the business. Um, so, I mean, I've liked racing ever since I was a kid. Um, I grew up short track, going to short track racing, stuff like that. Started helping out my buddies, doing some street stock stuff. I even ended up, you know, racing a little bit, but, you know, with helping him. And we, uh, 
did some dirt late model stuff toward the end there and didn't really know what I was going to do uh, career wise. And then a, we had a presentation at the University of Northwestern Ohio at my college or at my uh, high school. And, uh, you know, they just showed. And I was like, well, hell, that's that looks pretty good. I mean, they, <laughs> they got a motorsports program. Never did the motorsports team there. That's part of their big advertising, but I never did that. Um, I ended up going through the ARCA program, which was just an internship deal. Um, I go to class Monday through Thursday, uh, Friday through Saturday. I'm driving to the racetrack, wherever ARCA is at. I ended up doing three seasons doing that while I was in college. Uh, graduated January of 2019. Uh, did one year work in PR for Andy Hillenberg through a sponsor. Uh, I worked for Andy uh, my three years in college, and he got me a job that first year. And then uh, I got hooked up with JD Motorsports in Christmas of 2019, going into 2020. And that's where I spent the last three years. And then this year I made a, or this off season, I made the move. Uh, Tommy Joe Martins made me an offer I couldn't refuse. And I ended up coming over here, uh, kind of becoming the head tire guy over here and helping them out and helping them grow. We'll, we'll talk about Tommy Joe in just a little bit, my friend. But you mentioned the switch. What's the biggest difference between switching uh, teams to Alpha Prime? Honestly, and it, it's back to normal now. You know, I've been here for four months. We're, we're well into the season. But when you first get there, it's just meeting new people. And, and, like, I knew, like, Jay Lopez. I knew Michael Brandt, who's the crew chief over there. Frankie Kerr is my crew chief. He's actually uh, – he's a pretty familiar name in the garage area. Uh, he was Marcus Ambrose's crew chief. Okay. Uh, worked at Michael Walter Racing for a long time. He's actually a really great sprint car driver back in his day, but he's actually the one that kind of wanted me over here. Um, but going from working with my buddy Case and Alex Bird and Wayne Carroll, Brian Barry, all those guys over at Johnny's, for three years, I mean, those guys became, you know, my family. Uh, Case's daughter, Bailey, is actually, I, I guess, I'm kind of pseudo-uncle, I guess, kind of, is how she – I don't know. She, she, apparently she jumps up and down whenever she sees me on TV, but either way, um, and that's what, you know, places like Johnny's really grow is a, is a family environment. And it was kind of weird getting away from that, but now I'm getting back into, you know, getting used to the guys and we're all working well back together again. And we hired a lot of new people. So it was kind of easier. I didn't come in to everybody who was established. We hired a lot of new people. So everybody was kind of experiencing that at the same time. Now, for an example, I was on pit road during the Vegas truck race. I looked behind me and it's Gabe. So I'm like, hey, Gabe. So uh, we see you We see you around the truck races if, if it's before the Xfinity races, looking for tires. So what goes on? Sash, what is your, your main job that you do each and every single weekend when you're at the track? So tire guy duties, normal. You know, I, I measure stagger, tread wear, stuff like that before and i build sets um our engineer peyton actually helps us build sets we, we do a little bit he's got a computer program so a lot of my job and really any tire guy is just information is just gathering the data putting sets together putting a set on a car to go through tech and practice qualifying and then going through the race um and then you know if there's a truck race that weekend i walk around if none of the teams have used their tires we can we can buy them we can transfer them um and I'm also walking up and down looking at tire wear, uh, just kind of getting an idea of what is going to be, you know, what the tires are going to look like for our race. You can kind of tell about the second stage. Usually the track's pretty green, though, when the trucks first start. So about the second the last and last stage, you can get a decent idea of what the tire wear is going to be like. So for this upcoming week- weekend at Richmond, obviously, tire wear is huge at a, at a place like that does your job is is anything different with your job at races like richmond or darlington that just tear up the rubber and the tires not really if so if you were talking to me about 2003 then yes because they <laughs> they would go to darlington places like darlington rockingham and they would have 16 sets of tires for a cup race Jeez. um it, i mean they talk about it in darlington if you ran four green flag laps and there was a caution you were coming down putting tires on so, I mean, part of me wants to race back in the day like that. You know, I bet it was a lot, a lot of fun, but same time, I, I bet it was hell on tire guys having to keep up. So it's not really any, it's not really the same nowadays. I mean, we, we usually keep three or four sets in the pits depending on what NASCAR, you know, limits us to. So it's a little bit less workload and it doesn't really change that much week to week uh, between racetracks anymore. 
Tire Specialist for Alpha Prime Racing, Gabe Wood, joins the Front Stretch program. Uh, Gabe, obviously Alpha Prime doesn't have as many resources, or I'm just going to be honest with you, my friend, as much money as Junior Motorsports, RCR, colleague has. So just what are some of the challenges, some of the biggest challenges, I should say, for, for the smaller teams like Alpha Prime? Well, it's the same thing we faced at Johnny's. Um, just making do with what you got, improving on what you have. It's it's the baby steps. It's it's the looking. It's seeing what other guys are doing and trying to make improvements on that. And you know, we're, we, honestly, we've kind of struggled the first part of this year. My car, the forty five, has run pretty decent, but it's about and the forty three is starting to pick it up. It's it's actually we're having a crew change uh, this week, so I'm actually on the forty four okay. as well as Frankie Kerr and Paul Stewart, my car chief. We're all moving over to the 44 of Jeffrey Earnhardt for Richmond just to try and get get some confidence back into that whole deal and give Leland Honeyman some experience with Michael Groves, who's doing a great job. He was thrust into the crew chief job over for the 44 this year. Um, but it's – I don't know. It, we have a lot of resources. Like, we, we are not as low budget as a lot of other guys. Like, there's more resources than we were at Johnny – than I had at Johnny's. But – it's just challenging now with running three cars. That's, that's the biggest challenge we face so far is, you know, we bought a lot of stuff in the off season. We bought some chassis, but with NASCAR's new rules this year, everybody's playing catch up with ordering new rear end housings, new truck arms. So those parts are finally starting to catch up with us. But the first start of this year, it was really, it was really crucial. And it was unfortunate. We were having just trickle in parts. We were having to run stuff we probably shouldn't have. And, and that's really the, the the biggest struggle is just gaining stuff through running an extra car. Now we follow each other on Twitter. I I saw your tweet about Atlanta and how it was it, it was your favorite track, and now you just go and I'm not direct going there. Yeah, <laughs> I, was, I was gonna I was gonna paraphrase. I was gonna say that, but you said it, it before I did. So thank you, my friend. Um, I mean, I'm I'm known for as a person that doesn't hold back um it's gotten me in trouble a little bit but <laughs> I, I will flat say i mean they ruined that racetrack um yeah i we used to me and case on the six car when we ran the zero with jeffrey you know our mile and a half program wasn't the greatest but we went there and we built cars and we worked on them we we built notebooks you know we it, it translated into case and i's success at texas we ran texas we ran really well there a lot of times should have had some top tens, but now you go there and you treat it as a super speedway race. And it's not even the same as a super speedway race. It's, yeah. it's so much more chaotic. Um, and this, this race this weekend really showed it. Cause I think that first race, it was cold and it, a lot of people kept their heads together cause they didn't know what to expect. But I think talking to drivers, it was a lot easier to drive, but now the tracks had a couple races on it. It's wearing like it did back when they repaved it a couple years ago. And now it's getting harder to drive. You, you heard that the guys talk about it on the door bumper clear podcast. It's, it's getting harder to drive. And I think it's just, it's with the horsepower that we were allowed to have. It's not right to run a mile and a half with a super speedway package when in, there's no rear end grip. So basically, are you guys just going to the racetrack saying, hey, we're just going to tear shit up, and if we don't, we basically won the lottery for the weekend. Is is yeah. it is that simple? Uh, yeah, uh, and and I hate to be that way because we went there with, with Sage Karam. He drove his ass off for 17 laps before we ended up getting caught in a wreck. Um, Jeffrey didn't have a chance. That was the other thing is the, the track was dirty. I don't know what why it was. NASCAR kept blowing the track off, so no no – no problems with them. NASCAR was doing a great job of keeping the track ready, but there was just some stuff coming down. I don't know if the tires were splitting or what, but we, hmm. we, we actually cut a tire before we got caught up in the wreck and we caught it. Hmm. Uh, we pitted early to, to jump the stage so we could get some track position when the stage caution came out and we came down and Sage is like, Hey, that last restart, I was a little bit loose. Can you check the tires? And sure enough, I, I come over I didn't even have to check the air on the right rear. I had I could press it down and it was actually deflated. So was that was that because of the cold temperatures? Could that be I, a fact or what? I don't I don't know. It and I don't know. Gotcha. That'd be that'd be a question I might ask Goodyear here in a couple of weeks. It's just kind of what did they see? Because it wasn't just us. It was it would count in like nine people. So I don't but from the whole lot that I saw on my tire, 
it was a puncture. It wasn't like the tire split and they weren't multiple tread zone tires. So there was no multiple compound or anything. It just, it's like it got cut. And so I don't know if, I don't know what the deal was. Interesting. Tire specialist for Alpha Prime Racing, Gabe Wood, joins the Front Stretch podcast with O'Brien. And Gabe, it's long season, no doubt about it. It's not as taxing as the Cup Series, but um, you, you still have potential to get burnt out. So how do not just you specifically, but you and your team not get burnt out halfway through the season in June, July, August, et cetera? Um, it's just taking the advantage of off weekends. Like this weekend, or no, excuse me, next weekend we have the weekend off. So I think uh, we I think we made the plan today. A lot of us are going to Mallard Head Golf Course here in Mooresville, and we're going to have the Alpha Prime Drunk Golf Invitational, where we teach <laughs> we teach our other guy Caesar how to how to play golf. He's never played before, so and it's just kind of unwinding. And you know, we 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 relax and we talk like on the plane, and we enjoy ourselves and just kind of taking a little bit of time to to have fun with it. Um, taking advantage of when we're at the race, like in the, at the racetrack, if we get out of the racetrack early, we go do something. Phoenix, we went to Top Golf. Daytona, we went to the beach. And I don't know, Richmond, we might go somewhere. I'm trying to convince these guys to go to a Cajun seafood restaurant that I found there last year, but uh, okay. nobody's nobody's really taking me up on the offer. So, But taking I advantage know, of the off weekends. I got you. I know Michael Massey would, would be would take you up on that. So uh, maybe, maybe hit hit that guy up. But I, <laughs> I, I, I digress, my friend. Um, a couple more things here before we let you go, buddy. Uh, it, it, just the general consensus of the entire, whether Twitter or just racing fans in general that are not even on Twitter, that each and every single week, the Xfinity Series is the best racing of the weekend. Why is that? Why is every single week that you ask someone, which was the best race? the Xfinity series more times than not is the answer. I, I hate to beat a dead horse, but it's a combination of we've got downforce, but we've got, we've got some decent downforce, but we don't have great downforce. They've taken away some of our side bite this year with the new rear end housing rules and the skew rules that uh, have affected the way the cars, you know, don't track out over the rear. But I think the horsepower versus downforce is, a perfect combination. I don't know. It's hard to explain that the trucks, they put on great racing, but I think they've got, I don't know how to describe the aerodynamics of a truck other than a brick on wheels, but <laughs> the, the, the giant spoiler, it's, it's almost like it is an Arca, but Arca has got a little bit more of a wedge and they use the side force, but they've got giant spoilers and you know, they, they've got the same horsepower as the truck. So they race decently similar. Um, I, I honestly, other than beating the dead horse of, you know, oh, we need more horsepower and less downforce, that's what it is. It feels like the trucks would be even more better if they just don't keep wrecking like every five laps. Yeah, and I think that's really the the the, the downforce kind of thing. And it's just, you know, you, you there's a lot of on-throttle time. Guys are stuck together. Guys are just going to hit. It's not that guys are over-aggressive or – bad drivers or squirrels or whatever it's just they're close you get in bumper to bumper traffic there's somebody that's going to hit somebody or somebody's going to cut somebody off or you know if if you're spread out what we used to be able to do at atlanta like in the xfinity series you can run different lanes you know it's i i don't know there's there's a lot of stuff that i would probably be a little bit more vocal about <laughs> to fix nascar if i didn't have a hard card so Fair. We we can talk about that off off the air, my friend. Yeah. Uh, um, a couple more things here. You you mentioned Tommy Joe at the very beginning of of the interview. Just what is he like behind the scenes? We we all see him whether it's in the garage or or when he gets uh, some TV time. But behind the scenes, like in the shop, what is he like? I mean this in the nicest way possible. He's the goofiest bastard I've ever met. I love that. <laughs> I love it so he, much. So when we 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 just bought a new shop at, at in the off season, uh, we moved into a to a bigger shop we turned our old shop into a fab fab shop so but tommy decided to put his office above where this old team used to have their parts room so like the first or second day that we're in there i go to wave bye to tommy and we're leaving and he's got it above and he's got it wide open so his whole office i'll send you a picture of it. it's actually a pretty sweet okay. setup he's got like a, a an ox or a you know cow skin rug up there and awesome. uh, david Shieldhouse has his office up mm -hmm. there but he's got it in the corner where he can kind of watch out from behind his computer screen and just look at people <laughs> and uh he uh he looks up or he looks up from his computer and he sees me looking at him he goes don't look up here gabe so it's just he, <laughs> i don't know he's he's weirdly funny if that 
and I mean that in the nicest way possible. I love working for him. Last but not least, buddy, what's a successful weekend for you guys? Is it not wrecking? Is it getting top 20s, top 15s, all three cars in one piece? Just what, when you leave the racetrack, what is the end result saying that was a successful weekend for Alpha Prime Racing? Well, for, as, as a mechanic, you know, building the cars, I'd say running all the laps, no mechanical problems. But as a racer, I'd say top 15s are the goal. If we can if if we can finish in a top 15 or top 20 and the car was the best it was at the end of the day. That means we did our job and we adjusted on the car to where the driver was happy when it counted. Um that's probably my biggest thing. Folks, you can follow Gabe on Twitter at wood Pecker underscore double zero. Once again, at woodpecker underscore double zero. And if you see him on pit road, maybe just go and say hi and say, hey, I listened to you on, on that great podcast. Um, but but enough about me, Gabe. Thank you so much for coming on, brother. I wish you and, and uh, all three of your cars the most amount of success you can have in one season. And I can't wait to see you at the track again soon, brother. Appreciate it, Brian. Thank you for having me on. Gabe Wood, tire specialist for Alpha Prime Racing, joins the Front Stretch Podcast with Brian Owen. Once again, big thanks to Mrs. Lori Warren for the time with our Michael Massey. Big thanks to Massey for letting me air that interview in its entirety. For more on it, you can check out YouTube, our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash frontstretch. We'll also have a brand new edition of NASCAR Mailbag. Our boy, Mr. Big Hoss, you heard him last week. He's going to be diving into all of our listener mailbag questions that you guys have on our YouTube. I'm going to be joined right now by this guy, Mr. Tom Bowles at NASCAR Bowles. Bullsy, our first quote-unquote points-paying short track race. We had the clash. I don't consider Phoenix to be a short track race, so it is our first short track points-paying race of the season at Richmond, and for the longest time, it was called the action track. The action track. The action track. Well, Tom, Last 10 years, it's been kind of the snooze track. It's been a lot of snoozing on my couch when I'm watching this race because there's nothing action about it. Last year, it kind of got back to it. It was still a little bit, you know, dozing in and out, but it was a little bit better. So why, why, what's changed with this track? Why has it been such a snoozer for so many years? Well, at least tire strategy is bringing some stuff into play, right? So teams were doing different strategies over the course of the 400 laps in the first race last year, especially, I felt like that played out pretty well, but Richmond doesn't feel like a short track. It never felt like a short track. Once it was reconfigured in the late eighties, it was always a little bit different and didn't have as many crashes per se, because it was made to almost be like a smaller Atlanta where you had multiple grooves and you could pass different people with those different lines. Unfortunately, I feel like that's come to haunt it over the course of the modern era when we don't really don't have enough short tracks on the schedule. So Richmond suffers sometimes from really high expectations where people think there should be more beating and banging. it be more like Bristol or Martinsville. And Richmond is just not configured that way. That's number one. You know, you look at the cautions. I was bringing up Richmond and recent races while you were talking about it. What do you think? When's the last time you think there were more than five cautions at Richmond? And that includes stage breaks. Um, I'm just going to throw out a throw out a year 2011. Wow, wow! You don't you don't really like Richmond, do you? Not that far. <laughs> but it's been five years since 2018, uh-huh. and that race there were only six cautions. Jeez. So number of cautions the last couple of years three five five three five 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 five. So you have the two stage breaks. Maybe the third caution is a competition caution. And sometimes that's all you're going to get. And that's not what you expect at a short track. That's not what your mind goes to when you think about Saturday night, you know, at the local track. You think about people like beating on each other with their, you know, side to side and a lot of competition, some crashes, some really interesting caution flags that spice things up. And I think that Richmond is missing that. And I don't know how you necessarily bring that back without a better tire compound or some sort of reconfiguration to a certain degree. It's just for whatever reason, it hasn't worked at Richmond for a really long time. And I mean a really long time now. We're talking about like 10 years or so. You remember that race that I believe Brad Keselowski won where the drunk guy was on turn four, like you climbed the pole <laughs> turn four? That was basically like the only caution flag we had. It was a caution flag for a drunk guy. 
hanging yeah. on the racetrack. And that yeah. might've been the most interesting thing that happened during the race. Yeah, that's, uh, you never want to have that be the story of a race where it's a fan climbing a fence that's intoxicated. So, um, I'm hopeful. I, I'm hopeful for all parties involved. I mean, we, we as the media, we don't want to see a boring race. We don't want to cover a race, a cover race that that's a snooze fest. So, hopefully, for for all parties involved, it, it is going to be an entertaining race. Now, Michael Massey did ask Mrs. Lori Warren about the potential of having dirt at Richmond. Kevin Harvick and Chris Buescher both uh, were asked about that at Bristol last fall, in which Massey and I uh, covered, and, and they were in agreement. They they said might as well try it. Um, be, you know, there's nothing to lose. Would that be could that work tom i mean it's three-fourths of a of a mile could you have a dirt track that's three-fourths of a mile i don't understand why we're making artificial dirt tracks when there's plenty of great dirt tracks around the country that we could race at and that's my answer to that you know i think with richmond it's an unfortunate downside of the configuration that things are the way that they are I think that Goodyear, in this case, could get a little bit more aggressive with their tire compound. And I think we see that at several tracks on the circuit. That's the one variable that I think that you could switch out. Although I am interested to see how the short track package this year works at Richmond. I think it's going to do better at Bristol and Martinsville than it does there. But, you know, we put a lot into making this change. And again, evolution is continually important, right? I know the owners don't want to spend money, but what have we seen at some of the intermediate tracks this year? Keeping the package the same in year two, we've seen people catch up and the races haven't been as good as before. We've seen the best teams on top and we've seen passing become difficult to impossible because the speeds are so much closer. I'm hopeful with the short track package and the spoiler and the way that the cars are slightly different. You're going to see some slip sliding around. You're going to see a little bit more passing and tires going to be at a bigger premium. And again, you never want a tire to blow to cause a caution or anything like that. But tire management becomes increasingly important, and maybe that causes an additional caution flag or two that allows the racing to, to be a little bit more variable there. But Richmond, unfortunately, doesn't seem like there's an easy solution there. And you know, as we move ahead, it's already been taken out of the postseason. I hate to say it, but if we get the Nashville Fairgrounds back on the schedule, if we have North Wilkesboro now in rotation for the All-Star race, could we see down the road a couple of years from now Richmond lose one of its race dates? I, would, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised yeah. at all, especially if we get fairgrounds back as well as, like, like you said, with North Wilkesboro. And, and just to pivot back, though, on to Richmond, you mentioned the tire wear, Tom. What else do you have to do to be successful and get around the three-fourths of a mile track at Richmond? Well, I think track position is really important, right? Like, it's definitely a racetrack where you can move up. But with these long green flag runs, you want to start at or near the front, uh, which you don't typically say with a short track race because you usually have time to work your way up through. You know, certainly starting in the back, you have like a different type of risk, like the Bristol night race, getting involved in an early wreck or something like that. But, you know, Richmond, I think good pace throughout the course of your run. I know that's partly tire management, but getting in a rhythm there and just clicking off laps. And when we ha when you hit on the right setup at Richmond, that does well over a, a long run. You want to build up speed over the course of a run. We saw this with Austin Dillon like a couple of years ago, where he almost pulled off an upset there and had a really strong run. You know, I just remember the three car at the end of the long runs being at his strongest. But, you know, it's a race in which you typically get a dominant performance by whoever is up front. Like I'm looking at the races from last year, you know, Denny Hamlin, you know, because the race, the way the race played out, ended up winning at the end. We had you know, uh, like a crazy finish to that race with the different tire strategies where him and Kevin Harvick were able to come up through and use pit strategy at the end, to kind of snooker everybody, right? The way that they they managed their tires made the big difference. But, you know, you had Ryan Blaney lead 128 laps in that race early in the event. You had William Byron lead 122 laps. It's a, it's a race where the leader tends to lead a real chunk of the event. Joey Logano, 222 laps led in the event last summer. So if you're hoping for a lot of lead changes, Richmond may not be your racetrack. But at least with last year's event, with the way Hamlin and Harvick track, track guys down, that was really exciting. And in my opinion, that was the most exciting Richmond race we've seen in probably the last six or seven years there. So hopefully we can have a, you know that replicated in the racing this weekend. 
Tom, let's dive into uh, guys to watch for as well as our race picks. I'll have you go first. Who's going to be uh, your? Who's going to be a guy that you're going to be keeping your eye on this upcoming weekend at Richmond? Well, one other thing I want to say as we get into it is Richmond day races this year, right? Like we're not dealing with night races anymore. And certainly maybe during a hot afternoon, I don't think it's going to be as hot as Coda was this past weekend. Maybe a slicker track will help with side-by-side action and stuff like that. You know, Joey Logano is somebody that comes to mind immediately when you think of Richmond. Again, 222 laps led in the event last summer. I think that he has started to get his stuff together uh, in recent weeks. Uh, You know, you look at how his season began and, and where it is right now, the reigning champ, you know, coming off that win a few weeks ago at Atlanta, two top five finishes, sitting fifth in the standings. You know, I think he'll be a force to be reckoned with and always is a force to be reckoned with on the short tracks. But somebody else who's had a lot of Richmond success that I'm very interested in is Martin Truex Jr. Now, remember, Truex back in L.A. won the exhibition race at the Coliseum, looked like he was a brand new man coming off, you know, a public breakup to Sherry Pollux and coming into a season in which we don't know if it's his last year or not, but seemed motivated, seemed like he was ready to shake off the bad luck of 2022. And if you look at where Truex is so far this season, he's been good, but not great. Kind of similar to what 2022 was for him, right? Like he's sitting there eighth in the standings, but he's only got one top 10 finish, 14.3 average finish. Richmond's a track where he's had a lot of success. Joe Gibbs Racing as a whole has had a lot of success there, as we talked about Denny Hamlin won last year. But I feel like Hamlin's going to win his fair share of races as 2023 goes on. I think this is an opportunity for Truex to pick one off, and I think it's important for the 19 car to pick one off early so that Truex can breathe and not have to worry about going down to the wire for a playoff spot. Guy I'm going to be keeping my eye on, Mr. Bowles, is a guy that led 383 of the 400 laps here back in 2014. He's finished 15th and 13th last spring, and listen to this. He's finished inside the top 15 in every race here since the springtime of 2015. Brad Keselowski, this guy's been getting better and better with, with RFK racing. Chris Buescher finished here third finished third here last year i like to see keselowski get a top 10 here um but I'm, the guy that i'm gonna go with for the win i gotta go with the guy that you, that you mentioned tom i'm gonna go with the guy that has three wins here 16 top 10s and 33 career races i gotta go with the 19 car i mean he was great at at the uh coliseum and i think he's gonna get toyota their second win of the season and go back to back so i think martin Truex jr is gonna get the job done at richmond this upcoming weekend it's a good choice I think that Richmond, unfortunately, is the least likely of the racetracks to produce an underdog, Victor. But I do think you look at Austin Dillon's season to date, and it's been a struggle, and he has had success on and off there. A couple top 10 finishes, you know, that really good run in the postseason a few years ago where he almost won. You want to keep an eye out on the three car, especially with Kyle Busch's speed that he showed early on in the year. Let's dive in to the Checker Flag Bulls with some final thoughts. Checkered flag, here I come. Oh, no! Final thoughts are in the air, whatever you want to rant, rave, or anything in between. Mr. Tom Bowles, the floor is yours. Taking a look back at Coda, you had yet another driver mad at Ross Chastain. And it was his own teammate, Daniel Suarez, in the 99. Once he figured out that Ross was not only blocking his ability to get to Alex Bowman, but that he had a hand in some of the late race crashing that went on, he was pretty upset. Kyle Busch turned around and pointed at Ross, making mention of the fact that he doesn't know how to race clean. So you got all these guys mad at Ross. But you know what I'm thinking of? I'm thinking of Dale Earnhardt in the mid to late 1980s. Now, that was too young for me. But from what I understand, you had the pass in the grass and you had a whole series of aggressive moves from Dale Earnhardt where drivers would complain about his aggressive driving. Drivers would be upset that they would get pushed out of the way as Earnhardt was winning races. You know who walked away with the championship in 1987 with 11 race wins and completely dominated the field? Dale Earnhardt. You know who's the point leader right now by 19? Ross Chastain. I see a lot of drivers complaining. I don't see a lot of drivers pushing back. And it's one thing to say that Ross Chastain is super aggressive and blah, 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 blah. But they're certainly not standing in his way. Ross Chastain has the upper hand, whether you like it or not. And his excitement 
throughout the 2022 and 2023 season. It's not only gotten him a lot of wins, it came him, it it got him almost a championship last November at Phoenix Raceway. So, yes, the whole field is mad at Ross Chastain. I'm still waiting for somebody to do something about it because nobody really is right now, are they? But the entire year, it feels like we've been talking about one word, and that's respect and the lack of it. And I think it came to a head this week where you had guys not just from the Cup Series like Martin Drexler or Kyle Busch or, or Ross Chastain or, or Tyler Reddick. You had guys like Kimi Raikkonen and Jensen Button and Jordan Taylor saying, I was shocked. I was, it was like bumper cars up there. I mean, I, I don't know if I've ever taken so much damage in one race and finished. That's concerning because you have guys like this that are Formula One world champions that have won the 24 hours of Daytona and they come in and we're just treating them like it's like it's an ARCA race. And that's not cool. I mean, what? why are we going to have any chance of potentially getting a guy like Daniel Ricciardo or Lewis Hamilton to come to NASCAR? If you if you have guys like. Jensen Button or Kimby saying it was like bumper cars out there. It wasn't really fun because I was getting my my left fender damaged and then my right, and I was just going back and forth and back and forth. We got to start policing rough driving, and whether it's intentionally wrecking someone or, or just just hard racing or just dive bombing into turn one, something has to change. So what is going to change? I don't know, but something has to, or we're never going to get these guys like Jensen Button, like Kimi Raikkonen, and again, because why would they want to come to this? beep show like we saw with these nascar overtime time in and time again i mean it started at the indy road course last year just continued at coda this past sunday something has uh, to change brian nolan i love you but you're being a little over dramatic i disagree i think that like some of these guys are always going to come back right especially if the money's there the sponsorship's there they may not have liked completely what they saw but they'll be back i'm not too too worried about that what I am worried about is when you have a race that fans feel like they can watch on a three-minute highlight reel because the real racing and the real fighting for position doesn't happen until the end. We were seeing that on the ovals. Coda was proving us wrong. Coda was a natural, organic, competitive race that was playing out the way that you would want any good road course race to play out. And then it turned into bumper cars at the end, unnecessarily, because I would argue that the first overtime could have been the last overtime, but I digress. And that's really a concern because it just reinforces that point that fans go, well, who cares? My guy was running 20th and then all of a sudden he pops up at eighth at the finish. I can either tune into the highlights and see how the overtime restart went, see how he ends up finishing because, you know, it really didn't matter that whole first 60 laps or you could have somebody vice versa. You could have a fan really frustrated top five for a driver ends up 20th at the, in the final rundown and it's driver that had a great run the whole time. I think we really need to take a serious look at ways that we can better mitigate the overtime risks while still keeping overtime. I hate the word policing. Once you say I'm going to police it, then it's totally subjective. Every officiating call in any sport, the more the officials are seen, the more the officials are making calls, the more fans are going to be mad, the more controversy that results from it. So I think we need to be careful with that. But but, you know, we, we can balance this a little bit better. We can find ways, whether it's local yellows that ensure that one overtime is going to be the last overtime for any road course finish, or maybe limit the number of overtimes in a pack race to like one or two. And then, hey, we're, we're ending the race under caution. Or, you know, finding a way, and I know it may compromise safety, and that's where it makes it difficult, to like finish a race under green in a pack race during a green-white checkered overtime if the wreck is happening just at the start of the white flag lap and you feel reasonably certain that while the caution is out, you can get to those drivers and not compromise their safety and allow the finish to take place. You know, we, we need to try and get a little bit more aggressive at the way these races end in terms of making sure they end in a way where the finish feels like it matters more with skill than just throwing the cars into a, into a bingo thing, like I was saying before, turning the wheel and then just seeing who comes out. Because that's not the way 42. We have B42. Yeah. See, folks, so, you know, you see what just happened? He can be critical of me, but says it in a nice way. You're being dramatic, but it's okay. That's my boss, Mr. Tom Bowles, for you. Tom, 
Last but not least, my friend, where can we find your work and then promote your social handles as well, my friend? You can find me at NASCAR Bowls on Twitter. I do have a Facebook page uh, for my writing, which I really, really am bad at updating, but you can go ahead and find that. Uh, it's under Tom Bowles. And those are the main social media channels that you can find me. I'm basically a Twitter guy, um, as you know, because there's about 5,000 different things that are involved in one, running this crazy website every single day. Uh, but make sure that you find us on FrontStretch YouTube, youtube.com slash FrontStretch, FrontStretch Twitter, at FrontStretch, at frontstretch.com with Instagram. And I'll let Brian take care of all his Twitter handles and social media, especially with his lack of respect. He's going to be looking for a job, so we better audition right now. Ooh, dang. That's just hurtful, Mr. Bowles. That is just hurtful. Um, one thing you forgot to promote was your work on FrontStretch. You have a do, did you notice column and then a NASCAR crash course column on CBS Sports in which you talked about Tyler Reddick and Kyle Busch enjoying their early second chapter success. Well, once again, cbssports.com as well as frontstretch.com. Next week, we got a great guest for you. Ken Schrader, uh, our Luke and Glover, talked with Mr. Schrader about everything and then some. So check out his interview coming up next week right here at Front Stretch. Tom, thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure, my friend. Let's have you on again. And uh I'm excited to watch this upcoming weekend race at Richmond Raceway, my friend. As am I. Look at you kissing butt at the end to get back in my good graces. <laughs> Maybe you could come back next week. That, folks, is how you do it. For Mr. Tom Bowles and everybody that supports the program, a new episode of Stock Car Scoop every single Sunday night into Monday morning, a new episode of Through the Gears every single Friday right here on the Apple Podcast, Google, Spotify, as well as frontstretch.com. For Mr. Tom Bowles, I'm Brian Owen. For everybody here at Front Stretch, thank you for joining us. We'll talk with you next week to recap Richmond and preview Bristol Dirt.